Well, Vineyard, thanks for joining us. It's uh, Sunday, November 15th. It's like two in the afternoon. It's beautiful outside. It's beautiful outside. We have snow on the ground here, but the sun is shining. We, <laughs> we have snow. It's official. I was actually thinking of opening up our snowshoes for the first time a couple of days ago, but uh, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Not yet. Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. So, family, how are we doing? Are we, uh, are we doing better than surviving? Oh, well, there you go. Good. You're making sure we're online. I'm trying. So, we are featuring a, a bit of new technology here today. It isn't, uh, we're, we've fangled some devices together. Um, but uh, you should see a, a pretty steady steam of, uh, of us uh, this afternoon. Um, we, you know, none of these kind of stops and starts and jitters, but uh, we've got some new, new technology that's still transitioning online, and hopefully uh, we're all going to enjoy that today. Yeah, with no surprises, right? We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. It's a lot quieter around our house. I know we always joke about this, but when the grandkids come over, uh, it can get a little busy around here, hey? Oh, busy, messy, uh, crazy, loud. Yeah, it's... But we do it every day of the week. If we, well, every day might be pushing it, but <laughs> might be pushing most it. days of the week. But that's what life's like. It comes at you like full force. Sometimes it, uh, you just get it all. Sometimes you don't get, it's unfiltered and, and it just, it comes. And um, it was fun. It was fun hanging out with the kids, but... but uh, I got a minute pointed. Uh, it, it changed around here when we waved goodbye to them out the window and off they went back to Salmon Arm. But uh, man, we love them. Was was good time. Um, listen, before we move into Advent celebration, now that's coming up, right? Sure is. Advent. Uh, our first Advent celebration will be at. Uh, well, we'll be looking at things at the at the end of this month. So it's for those four weeks leading up to Christmas. Um, Christmas. Before, Christmas. Huh. Yeah, Christmas. <laughs> it's it's going to be an unusual Christmas for many of us. Um, but before we move into Advent, I just uh, we we're in the middle of this series called "Our Father's Love Changes Everything." Um, uh, uh, this Sunday, we're going to continue looking at our central theme in our Vineyard community. Uh, it's a it's a series. Um, that reminds us, it points us to that love that never ends. Never. 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 Yeah. And today's session we've entitled Present and Revealing. Um, and as we shared on our both our Facebook and our uh, newsletter introduction, it's prefaced with the story that comes right out of Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Uh, we could have pulled from like multiplied stories from our Bible to stir up our faith and our imaginations. Um, um, to see Jesus is to see God, the love of God the Father. And so, yeah, of course, we're, we're, we're pulling from a lot of these themes. Um, uh, but maybe we could actually start off by sure. reading right there out of, uh, out of Luke's gospel. Sure. Let's see if these glasses work with this. So Luke 7, 11 to 17, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he was approaching the village gate. The young man who had died 
was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he says. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen amongst us, and God had visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. Yeah, I would, I would say that news spread around I the region. Ya. This is actually the first recorded um, raising from the dead. There's, there's a couple more in the Gospels um, that showed that Jesus had power to raise people from the dead, uh, that, that that resurrected power um, was, in fact, was, was in fact endued to him, and, and he operated out of that. But this is like the first major miracle of that short you I sort of jokingly said to you today, it was like, yeah, this is like one of those top shelf miracles that happened. Uh, you know, I think any, any miracle that, uh, that we see happen where God changes situations and, and, and even physically comes and heals people uh, is worth our celebration. And, and we've seen a few in our life right? Yeah, we have. Yeah, we've seen a few. Um, we've experienced some in our own life and journey and walk, but today I, I, we wanted to share from this. As we've been sharing last week, Jesus ministered with power, right? That was part of our, our, part of our opening statement, talking about the love of our Father. But it wasn't just to prove the claims about himself, but Jesus actually comes into this world and he comes to reveal the love of our Father. See, when anytime God reaches out and we see him doing these spectacular things, it's always coming out of this place of God's love. God has come to restore and to redeem this world. He's come to, into our lives to, to bring significant change. Um, and, you know, as we taught last week, Jesus didn't come into this world to judge this world, but God sent his Son into the world to save us. He loved the world so much that he gave us his only begotten son. That was out of the gospel of John. No, I'm just getting a tickle right now. You're getting a tickle in your throat. Well, there you go. <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. Well, we're only live. That's all right. I know. I know. In goes the throat lozenges. Yeah. <laughs> so today's, today's story, as I said, it, it represents that first recorded miracle. Uh, now, it's our prayer, right? It has been our prayer, right? You're going to suppose yes that, yes. that the Spirit of God would actually do the same in us as we follow Him through uh, even the visitation of this story today, that God would in fact come into your life. There's, I know that there are a number of us in our community who have been praying and asking and seeking the Lord for changes in their lives, changes in lives of people around them, changes in their situations. Um, uh, and people in need of some, a real physical touch of healing in their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, don't, I can't even throw out the disclaimer about the good news that we received today, but we, yeah, only because we can't really share too much of that. Except, no, we can't, but it no, was good news. I said, you know, yeah, we want to encourage you. God hears our prayers. He answers them. Earlier in this same chapter of Luke, in, in this seventh chapter of Luke, he's invited his readers to consider how the faith of a Roman centurion was used to heal a servant. Now, it's worth 
reading. It's good, it's good, it's good read. In previous messages, you know that we've shared that faith works like a vehicle for God's power to be released, like the two are conjoined. They're in a partnership with one another. Luke's story about the centurion soldier is a reminder that Jesus delights in faith. He, he delights in faith. He loves it when his people are faithful and as people look to him with faith and call to him. And But as tempting as it is to maybe create some rules, we can't be boxing in the work of God's kingdom and and resigning it to a formula, because it's so far from that. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you make a formula. Uh, we, we try to do it, though, we don't try. we? We, we, we try to do it. We try to see it sometimes out of relationship, you know. We've done this and we've done that. Therefore, God, you must do this. Like, God is not about to be yeah, put in any think, kind of a box. I don't think I know that it's our intimate times with him. It's us uh, slowing ourselves down, asking him the question, sure. uh, working with him. That's when we're going to see uh, that's the formula. The only formula is going to him, waiting and seeing and listening. And Sure. That's a good formula. It's a good formula. Well, it's relational, right? Yeah. God's, you know, it's, it's a totally relational formula. Look, I, I see that we got some folks starting to gather online. That's great to see you guys. I see Barb on there and Tracy. I see you on there, Theo. Um, yeah, thank you for joining us. But it's, so let's let, look. Let's stay on track. Otherwise, I you know I'm going to get moved right off. <laughs> or you'll be with us for hours. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be on here way too long. Now, what we need to see about Jesus in the story is like he is free to act as he sees fit. God doesn't have to answer to anybody. He can do exactly what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants to do it. Jesus here we see is free. Uh, to act as he sees fit. Um, and what we also find here in this story, and it's, this, it's the thing that I really want us to get a hold of as we consider this love of the Father, is that Jesus is also deeply moved by sheer compassion for his people. He can't help himself. Yeah. That's, that's the heart of the Father. That is the heart of the Father towards his children. Writing about the nature of God, David shares that God is a in Psalm 68, he says he's a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. I, lo- I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, how oh God, we can see this text bridging with the actions that we see Jesus act, acting out, right? And along with his disciples, we have this picture. We have this picture. A large crowd has been following Jesus. <laughs> and it says it so casually. It's like they leave Capernaum. But you got to understand, like, the distance between Capernaum and Nam is, it's like, like, 40 kilometers. It's a long day's worth of travel. And this entire crowd is now following Jesus. It's, it's flowing out of, out of Luke's accounting of the great Sermon on the Mount. It's, this, this crowd is beginning to gather around Jesus. They're attracted to him. This crowd has, has found him in Capernaum. There's been this miracle we've, that, we've, that we've seen in the text here of the Roman centurion's servant that's been healed without Jesus even having to go to the house to perform it. And we have him traveling to Nam. And I, you know, 
I don't know, what is that, a sunrise to sunset journey? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a long journey. Especially if you don't have a car. <laughs> and they're coming on, he's in a crowd, and they're coming near to the entrance of the city, and they're met by another crowd going the opposite direction. A crowd of townspeople are heading out of the village to bury a young man. So, I, I, you know, I, what I love so much about the scriptures is there's so much story here. And if you've got a great imagination, what a, what a time to use it. Um, they're met by this crowd of townspeople. They're headed out of the village to bury this young man and hoisted atop their shoulders. The bearers have an open wooden framework that is that has the, the deceased son of a widower now resting in it. And we have these people who are following in tow and in mourning. We have a widower who is, and mother to this son, who is in deep mourning for her only son. And then Jesus sees the mother. He saw the, this mother to, this, to her only son, and he, and, the, and as Luke's captured it, he says that he's, he's overflowed with compassion toward her and for her situation. I, I love how he's captured this. See, Luke, Luke didn't see this firsthand. You know, I don't, he wasn't one of the original disciples, but he was a man that listened to all of the accounts from the earliest believers and created this story for all of us, this record for all of us to read. So imagine the story with with us, as, as Luke would have had to have done as he listened to the accounts. Find yourself sort of crowded in by a collision in this flow of people. Um, and then surrounded by a myriad of sounds and, and emotions, so much going on. Now, if you imagine the situation and the seriousness of it, the natural reaction would have been to respectively step aside, right? And allow the procession to move ahead and unhindered. <laughs> that would have been the, the, the expectation and the normal thing to have, have happened. But upon seeing the mother, Jesus actually deliberately moves himself through the crowd to confront, and I love this, he confronts the living. His first step is to go specifically to the one who is grieving the most, the one who's been left behind. And for me, I mean, I highlighted this, honey. I was saying to you, you know, when we start this uh, shared message today, I, I wanted us to just capture some of the reality of, of how God sees us and how he reacts. Like, I'm moved thinking that his first order of business is to deal with the living, right? Yeah. The dead, in a sense, are on hold or they're, they're in a, you know, they're in another place, but his urgency is for the living. He moves towards the woman. Do you ever wonder what God is like? You know, as I said, we, we need to look to Jesus who perfectly displays our Father. This is what his love does. God's heart is always to draw near to the brokenhearted. And again, it's the psalmist David who reminds us of the same. He says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed it's safe to say that mama's feeling very crushed. Oh, I bet you, yes, for sure. Yeah, and we under yeah. understood that. We understand that stuff, being parents that we are. We get it. 
You see, you know, God is not only encountered in our mountaintop and high place experiences. Sometimes in those places, yeah, we're indeed encountering God, but we're also experiencing the, the, the height of something gained, something realized, and all the euphoria of that. We're, we're less, we're more likely actually to avoid the valleys than the sort of those other places, right? But, you know, think again of David's psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. There is something about the low places. Uh, he is, God is entirely more often found in these low places where we need him the most. And maybe when we're the most in need for him. Maybe that's when our senses are just more aware of our need for his presence with us. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Do you experience them in the low places? I sure do. Yeah. Yeah. We've experienced the high places too, haven't we? Yeah, we have. And those are hilarious, but more than often enough, I, I think very often we encounter them in those low places. Now, death is, is a com- it's common. It's common enough. And if you've lived long enough, chances are you've been touched by some form of it. Um, in our Western society, we have a tendency to kind of distance ourselves from it somewhat, hey? From death? Yeah, from yeah. death. And I mean, even, even COVID right now, with all of the statistics and everything, there is, a, there is sometimes a, a need to distance ourselves from it. Like we, you know, it becomes quite overbearing for us to slow down and actually consider the, the amount of lives that are being touched during this time. Yeah. But more and more we're encountering people who have lost loved ones through this time. In Middle Eastern cultures... Uh, there tends, I want to say that there tends to be a kinder and more robust sort of hands-on familiarity and practice of loss, even in terms of handling and preparing the body and being involved in ceremony. Admittedly, uh, you know, we, we, we question the authenticity of a professional mourner and wailer being assigned to accompany the grieving families. I mean, it conjures up in interesting images for us. Well, I think, too, that uh, in society, and for a lot of us, we don't want to really let our feelings be seen. We don't want to be real to express ourselves because we've either been told, you know, suck it up, or it's okay, you know, just... Like, it's important. Like, when we minister to people and there's grieving, it's important to say, this is healthy, this is good, we need yeah. to grieve. Yeah. Well, so one of the, one of the theologians that I, I studied while I was looking at this, you know, presents this. He says, look at the, the noise that is uh, allowed um, from pro- even professional mourners and wailers acted like a covering that gave relatives and friends some room uh, um, to openly grieve, uh, and particularly the open heart of a grieving mother to lay her heart absolutely bare in the face of such tremendous loss, Right? No embarrassing thoughts about how I appeared. No, not worrying about, uh, you know, the, the opportunity of making a scene, 
like, you know, I think back to some tender times in our lives where we've suffered loss and consciously being aware that I, I didn't want to let too many of my emotions out because I didn't know when it would stop. Right? Actually, this isn't in your notes, but I had this thought. Oh. And it's not about mourning, but I was thinking of with our uh, second born, and Dave didn't get to be there with our first because I was going to Children's Hospital. But, yep. but, with, but I remember being in labor, and there was another lady in the other room giving birth, and she was noisy. And Dave, <laughs> oh, I remember no, looking start. at me going, you're not going to sound like that, are you? <laughs> and I remember going, and I went, oh, no, I won't. But I actually held in a lot of just, I just stayed quiet through it all. And yes, I invited Jesus in it, but there was a lot of, oh, I'll show my husband that. No, I, we're not all that noisy, but inside, your insides are going, so even in that joyous occasion, there is still a suppression of there you go. what is there that can yeah. you'd like to come out, but you're trying to save face and not look bad. So do we need to pray into that? Maybe later. <laughs> Maybe later. I just thought about that. Oh, no. Well, you know, listen, there needs to be a freedom to like openly release deeply embedded pain and... And to properly grieve. Um, yeah, and as you stated so beautifully and before we went into this point is there is, a, there is and we do come across many occasions where people have never properly grieved. Yeah. You know, uh, and you know, I'll go out on the limb here that sometimes um, we might mistake the pain that comes out of people as is God actually delivering them from something demonic when in fact it's just pain that is so yeah. buried deep, deep down that it, it, it looks unsightly, right? It sounds unsightly when it's coming up, but it, it, it needs to come out, right? It needs to come out. So death in a small Middle Eastern township um, listen, the practicality of this is, is that it touches everyone. Uh, an entire community would have had some connection to the widower and her son and would have been painfully aware of the practicalities that this loss would put on the boy's mother. Like they, they'd have known. Um, the procession uh, was likely on its way to help the mother bury her only son alongside the carefully, maybe the carefully attended bones of her husband and the boy's father. And suddenly arrives this strange caravan of people being led by a man who might have even looked vaguely familiar. Uh, that's an interesting thought. So you see, he, same culture. Uh, Galilee wasn't actually a very big place, and Jesus had spent most of his life, his years, being raised as the oldest son in a family that lived in a neighboring village only eight kilometers away. So, yeah, <laughs> maybe he looked familiar. Maybe he had made trips to that village from time to time. I, who knows? But born of the Spirit of God and being fully human in every way, Jesus was intimately connected to the people and to their culture. He knew them all intimately well. 
And like any young child growing up in a small village, he was, he was only too familiar with the reality of both celebrations and desolations, and I'll use that word, desolations, that communities, small communities might face together, right? We're, we're never told, but it's a safe assumption that Jesus experienced his own loss in his life, the loss of his own, his only adoptive dad, Joseph, right? Yeah. We don't know that much about his life. Um, but he would have been acquainted with the obvious pains that had touched his mother through that process, his whole family. He, he was a man that the scriptures say was acquainted with sorrow. I don't, I don't know where we attribute the sorrow to Jesus when we read those words out of the Old Testament when we think about him, the Messiah who sympathizes with us, who was tempted in every way that we were tempted. But but he's, he's acquainted with us. He was both fully God and fully human. He, he had experienced the full range of all the emotions and losses and gains that any of us have, and the people of his time would have encountered. But it was out of that place of sorrow that his heart overflowed with compassion. He identified with that. And... <laughs> And I love this. There's like a determination that, that overcomes him and he pushes through the crowds and Jesus sp- speaks directly to her. And then he reaches out. <laughs> and he reaches out to touch the framework that held her son's body. You could almost bet that you could hear the gasps in the air. I bet you, yes. Yeah. Listen, people would have been surprised. They would have been horrified. Everyone understood the extreme overreach that Jesus was committing right there. Other than the official bearers, touching a corpse or even the bearers themselves would make you ceremonially unclean. And how insensitive of him to actually do that, to push his way through. (laughs) That would have been fun to watch. (laughs) Wow, who does he think he is? But before anyone's horror could be voiced, the Son of God begins talking to the young man, commanding him to get up. I love it. I love that. And you know what's even more shocking is the young man begins chatting it up with him. He's talking talking to Jesus. And, you know, you can just imagine all these people looking over their heads at what's going on, going, what on earth? And the young man begins talking and he begins getting up. Now, I, I don't know what you, you see about that, but my imagination takes off. I can see the, the framework on the shoulders of these bearers now alive with life all of a sudden moving around. And I sort of imagine his bearers desperately trying to set him down while he struggled to plant his feet onto the ground. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a scene. And as the people... Watching this all play out. Imagine yourself a part of either of the crowds watching this all go in. The proud, the crowd from the town certainly watching this all play out. What on earth do you do with all this? Where do you start? And, and who do you even look at? There's so much going on. The no longer dead boy, his overjoyed mother whose tears of sorrow have now turned into tears of joy. I can just imagine the shrill in her voice. 
Or do you turn immediately to the unassuming stranger who messed up the entire funeral procession? Like, what do you do with that? And, 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 and you need to hear it like worship because this is what we're so often worship is birthed out of at times. Yes, in our pain, but in our joys. Dumbfounded and amazed, the people instinctively turned to the stories from their own scriptures, and it became praise. Only in their historical text had they ever heard of such a thing happening before. And it happened to actually two, to two prophets who were actually connected to one another. One was a protege, wasn't he? Elisha was a protege. That, yeah. But there's a story that comes out of the accounts of both uh, Elijah and Elisha about having raised a boy from the dead, and in these cases, to widowers who had lost their sons. Like crazy. <laughs> and their response is priceless. Like they, they are seeing this, they are equating it, they're putting everything together, and they're saying, God has visited his people. That's their response. Um, and not just in the sense of a quaint little social visit, Right. Yeah. Like, wasn't that nice? We all had tea and crumpets and celebrated and said goodbye to one another. night. No, but in a powerful event-shaking move of deliverance, this, the people's spirits were elevated, their hearts were awakened, and they were enlightened to the presence of God. They recognized something, longed, hoped, and waited for, and maybe, maybe in some ways given up on but God had come near to both intervene and to save. Uh, spectacular. Spectacular. As we shared last week, it said that our Father's love is a power that transforms heart and He changes outcomes. His is a love that comes to save and heal and deliver us from the deeply rooted and broken effects of sin and unbelief in this world and in our lives. Back in the 90s, do you remember that? Ah, yesterday. Yesterday. What year were we married? 82. Okay, you remember that. That's pretty good. So when inside our first 10, ten years of our marriage, uh, and towards the end of, of John Wimber's ministry, John being one of the founders of the, of the Vineyard Movement, um, you and I traveled from our home on Vancouver Island to attend a conference where we actually saw John in person. Yeah. It was the first and only time we saw John. Yeah, that was good though. Yeah, we sat at a conference at the New Life Vineyard Church in Kelowna. John was teaching, and but during that three-day conference, we took in a workshop on healing with Gordon Jan White. Now, you're a little fuzzy on the Gordon Jan. <laughs> you remember John, but Gordon Jan White, uh, we'd, been, we'd actually been invited uh, to join part of their ministry team that, uh, that was ministering to people that were there at the event through that time. Yeah, at the yeah. end. Yeah. yeah, at the end. So... Part of that ministry was taking in some training with them. Um, both Gordon and Jan, they, they oversaw a, a prayer and a counseling ministry there at the vineyard. Um, the shorter narrative of their testimony is that they were living out of a calling that was birthed during a time of their own desperate prayer. And, and as they confessed, their total surrender to God. Um, doctors had, in fact, diagnosed Gord with an acute capillary inflammation, and basically his, his body was shutting down. It was, 
the same condition that had recently taken his brother's life. Oh. Yeah, so they, you know, the outcomes, they weren't great. But to their absolute as amazement, as quickly as the disease had come upon him, the Lord suddenly and miraculously healed Gord's body. And within 24 hours uh, of put, being put on dialysis and every machine that you could imagine, he was disconnected and he was sent home. <laughs> That's that's Sounds amazing. like Jesus that's, showing up to me. That's intervention. And there began their story, which leads us to really what I wanted to finish off in their testimony. That began their journey. And uh, Gord said he was drawn into the works of Jesus, and he poured himself into the Gospels. And about five years later, Gordon Jan connected with people who were equally impassioned to learn more about the kingdom of God and to operate out of that place. And so began the formative years of the new life vineyard, you know, when the Ruses and the Campbells were, yeah. were a going concerned. Now, they were just recently returned to from a missions trip to Central America, and that, that's where I wanted to finish off with this testimony. Uh, the whites shared that they had been ministering to the poor outside of their home base there in... Central America, and in the thick and the heat and smoke, they were, they were providing relief. They were ministering to communities of people who were living in these make-do shelters built in the middle of a massive garbage dump. I think you remember that in our recent trip down to Guatemala with Bark and Alita West, that uh, when we were with Naomi Hay and the girls, uh, one of those dump sites actually from Guatemala straddled the roadside. You remember looking into those? And yeah, I did. Seeing the people that were living in the midst of yeah. yeah. Like they're just busy salvaging what they can for a living from there. But it was in the thick of this heat that they found all these people that that was their home. Families had lived on top of those garbage heaps, gleaning whatever they could to survive. Now Jan confessed that she was gutted by the punishing sights and smells that they were taking in while they were there. Well, I'm sure it wasn't nice. Yeah, like you could imagine every, every possible kind of waste and filth that they were trying to deal with. But this is, where, this is what people call home. This is where they were living. And like the others on her, term, on her team, she said that they, they tied back scarves against their face, but not till they had, had soaked the scarves in perfume to try and deaden oh, the wow. smell of things that they were taking in and desperately trying to cover her mouth and nose uh, like from the what she just said was just a violent attack to her own senses but it was the sight of the young children and the mothers who were living in the midst of all this chaos that just overwhelmed her as she says it was all too much and in the midst of feeling assaulted by the hopelessness of it all, she said that she came upon a ragged, middle-aged mother who looked way older than her real age. Um, and it was obvious to her and it was obvious to the team that she was helplessly blind. Uh, she had developed a, a crippling infection in her eyes that had taken her sight. Jan shares that her eyelids were open, oozing wounds that were aflame with infection. Like, they weren't that she had just lost her sight, but they 
that she was noticeably um, impaired. And uh, Jan confessed that it was all she could do to look at her, right? And, and, and much less try to communicate anything with her. And she said she began <laughs> becoming overwhelmed with compassion for her. And it got to a point where Jan said she, she threw off, she cast off her, her own fears and the restraints that she had to protect herself. And she pressed herself into this little woman. <laughs> and she's, she says that she admittedly threw her arms around her and just pulled her in tight right to her chest. And then she began to weep uncontrollably and cried out to the Lord while she was doing that. <laughs> she says, this went on for some time. She said, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And after some time, Jan, after she was able to regain her composition, she, she pulled the now soaking mess of a little woman away from her chest. And there to the amazement of Jan and to the team and to this little figure in front of her, the woman's eyes, her blind eyes, had been miraculously healed and opened. That story, all these years later, recounting that still just grips me to the core. Um, it speaks so much to me about the love of our Father that can and will and often does just change everything. Absolutely. Moving into ministry, um, what is what comes to your mind when you think about this story and you think about? I mean, I, I won't go into a long story, but what came to me was a trip to uh, Mexico. Where we went there for a missions trip, and just we go into houses to. They want us to come pray for them, and we want to pray and minister. And But there was one lady who, um, she was standing in the line to get prayer, and uh, she was crying, and God, I felt like God said to me, poked me in the shoulder, he says, you need to pray for her legs to be lengthened. And I thought, mm. oh. Right. So then I went up to one of our team people, and I said, you know, because of course, me, I had faith for it, but I didn't have faith that I could actually pray for her. So I went up to this person and said, you need to pray for him. Me. Pray for her. So he said, yeah, I'm right in there. This was Lee Gardner, who loves to pray. And he just got in there, and he's got his hands, and he's praying. And, uh, and I thought, oh, this is, we need more power than this. So I went to find Eric McCooey, and I said, Eric, you need to... You need we to need more power than this. That's awesome. <laughs> we need you to come pray. Oh, the mind works. This is what God is saying. And so then Eric, another man who loves to pray for people, comes around the corner and says, well, her legs look the same to me. And I went, hmm, yeah, I guess God lengthened them already. And she was healed. But anyhow, you, you could go home feeling good about that, but it wasn't until the next day when she showed up to give her testimony. Yep. She was in the lineup, but, but she didn't want to tell anybody she had a medical condition because she thought she was going to lose her job. Instead, so she stood in the lineup. The tears were in fear of anybody finding out what was wrong with her. God taps me on the shoulder, me of little faith, 
that I could even pray for this. I feel differently today, though, by the way. <laughs> I go finding people who has, you know, the ends with God. And, uh, but really, she was healed. Yeah. And she was so thankful for the team for just being there to pray for her. And guess what? We were just obedient. We didn't even have a clue what was going on in our life. We have, and still today, when we go there, we visit with her. And it's just so fun to see her. So for ministry, it's like you may have a need or you may know somebody who has a need. You can pray. We could pray. But just going, I know the Father wants to heal. I know the Father wants to bring peace to our stirred up hearts of things in our life that just do not make sense. And we can do it alone with God, but sometimes he invites others to come alongside us and believe with you. Yeah, fantastic story about, you know, God <laughs> working in, in secret. And, you know, if we're, if we're looking to ourselves for the power uh, to do it on our own, that's, that's not the gig. The gig is that God is with us and where God is present, like anything is possible. Absolutely. And the, the beauty is, is that he wants to use us and work through us. Uh, he wants to partner with us. And I think, you know, such a great story. Yeah, and listen, that house was jammed with people. Right? Oh, oh, dozens yeah. and had, dozens. It was non-breathing yeah. room almost. Yeah, we had a couple of teams broken out to do different things. And the same gal that you're talking about actually didn't want us praying for her. She wanted another guy who was in the other group to pray for him because she thought he was better than us. She thought he had all the power. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, he could speak Spanish and we weren't fluent in Spanish at all. So, but here we are just bumbling along and God's working through us. Listen, you know, as we consider the the Father's love, do you you consider it that he is a God that is moved with compassion? I, I I love that. It's a the compassion that we find out if we, you know, if we look, dig into our scriptures, we, we see scriptures like Jesus looked on the crowd and it says he was moved with compassion. It's actually a, it's a guttural thing. It's an actual literal from the, from the, the innermost being, Jesus was yeah. moved. That's the kind of emphasis of the word compassion. He had deep compassion for people and it's out of that place that he would be moved to minister and to be with people. God wants us to be moved like that. He wants to share that compassion, that love with us. Um, listen, nothing can be more debilitating than the loss of life, the loss of friendship, the, the loss of, of family ties or relationships, and especially for too many these days, the loss of freedoms. What if we were to take all of our mess um, in the distaste that we feel in these situations, and we invite Jesus as our Father to push His way toward us. Don't don't you want Jesus to push and push His way into our lives? I do. I do. <laughs> He's pushy in a good way. Can you keep pushing Him? Just kidding. <laughs> <Keep> I'm <y'all>. kidding. <laughs> what? What, what about inviting me in? Are we willing to invite him into the middle of everything, even to our messy places? Uh, Especially our messy places. Listen, in prayer, he just says, look, come as you are. God would not have us any other way. Like we're not, you know, 
Uh, God, not right now. I got to get my life straightened out before we have an encounter. And I've we heard that. Him. Oh, sure. Yeah. I've, I've heard it many times. I've, <laughs> you know, uh, don't waste another breath. Move in. Let them move into you. All of the, let all the pretenses go. Uh, let your, your vulnerabilities, let them be fully exposed to him. I'm not asking you to do that with me. I'm not asking you to do it with Deb or anybody that's preferring you, but but be exposed to him. Let him see it all. He sees it all anyways, right? He sure does. <laughs> he knows our heart better than we know our own. Uh, how do you imagine Jesus coming to you? So like Jan in our story who clung to that young mother uh, and surrounded by the overwhelming smells of, of waste and garbage all around her, can you imagine Jesus compassionately holding on to you? in the middle of all of that. Listen, meaningful prayer and encounters with our fathers can sometimes look and feel messy. Messy. <laughs> it's a beautiful, glorious mess at times. God is entirely okay with that, right? Let him move right in. Meaningful exchanges with our father, I'm going to also share with you, takes time. Can we, can we pray that God would give us grace for ourselves? Let him, and let him reveal himself however he chooses to do that. Like the grieving mother of Luke's story, can we welcome his approach? Can we quiet ourselves enough to hear him speak? Can we patiently wait for him to speak, right? Maybe, maybe it's just going to come in the form of a touch. Can we open ourselves to accept that touch from Him? And today, if we hear His command, can we not harden our hearts, but remain resolute and obedient to Him? Right? Our Father may not say the things that we expect. Lots of times oh, yeah. it goes that way. He may not even do exactly what we want and how we want it done, right? But if, if we have been reminded and stirred by anything, it should be by His loving presence that we can be confident that He will bring to completion the work that He's begun in our lives. <laughs>